Here we are. We're on. <laughs> you want me to say welcome? I, I feel like I said welcome last week, so it's your turn to take over your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just as I hit record, do you remember forever ago when we had, it was the first weekend that we were in the house in whatever this new thing was, and we called the, po- po- the episode like um, day five of whatever this is. Right. Remember when it was day five? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> my my memory feels very right warped. Right, um, it's like a like a like a slog through memory. Yes, like it's all just. So here we are, an episode of the Robcast. Yes. Did that previous story? Were you going somewhere with it, or you were just like, remember when we started this? <laughs> I thought maybe you were going somewhere. I had nothing. Oh. I got into that story and I was making some point about remember back then uh-huh. how long ago it was and how we were like decided let's start Santa's Kitchen Table making Robcast episodes mm. together through this thing, whatever it is. Right. And here we are. Yeah. But you're correct. The story had a beginning, <laughs> a tiny bit of a middle. <laughs> But this is a thing that I'll tell you about when people tell stories and they don't know where they're going with their stories and it makes me crazy. Uh-huh. I just did that. I just went into it. Yeah. Fully went into it with nothing. There was no payoff. <laughs> now that you're laughing, I feel like maybe it had a payoff, but oh. <laughs> so it's a beautiful, hot Sunday morning. Here we are. I mean, it's hot here in Los Angeles. Yes. Um, I grew up in the desert and this... This reminds me. If you of say that. it's hot, it's hot. Yes. Um, so that's the weather report. Thanks for tuning into the Robcast. Now, um, you and I had had a discussion the past couple of days about this old word, and we we're like, "Ooh, let's talk. Let's do that. Let's do an episode on that because that feels uh, the next thing to do." Yes, and. Hmm. If you know Rob, you know he loves words. Oh, good Lord, do I love words. (laughs) He loves a good word. Like he'll like carry it around and (laughs) say it and, or even somebody's name. Oh. He loves names and words. They bring him great joy. So true. Like my phone right here, I saw a name this week somewhere. I'll screenshot names because they're just high art to me. Um, And I'll just go back through the phone and be like, oh yeah, look at that one. Oh, yeah, here it is right here. Look at that. You have a name? Afsoon Bark Hoarder. <laughs> and where did you come across Isn't that? Isn't that awesome? Oh, wow. A dentist. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw it, like on one of those. It's, be- um, it's beautiful. It's like poetry. Where you're, what are, a directory. You saw that on a directory. Yeah, like if I go into a building and, like if I go to the dentist or if I go to wherever and there's like a, thing in the lobby of names, I'll read them all. (laughs) I remember one time speaking, it was across the street from St. Paul's Cathedral in London, whatever the building is across the street, (laughs) that (laughs) building. And in the back hallway headed to the stage were pictures, were old pictures of British folks posing in front of that building. And I just spent the like maybe an hour just reading old names like i can i can think of places i've been where there were lists of names and i just do you remember the art installation yes. yeah i was just thinking of that yeah yeah at the national gallery in um edinburgh right the museum of modern art I think. where they have duchamp's urinal folks so they have like some iconic amazing pieces of art but um when we were in the stairwell right right and i remember you have pictures of yeah, it on I have your those phone pictures here too mm-hmm can you tell us about it? Because I think you remember it better than me. It- oh, we were in, it was the stairway in between floors. And when you went into the, stair, the stairwell, there was like typed names. Um, but the entire stairwell, all four sides of the stairwell, two stories, was all these typed columns of names. And when you got to the bottom, there was the card saying what the exhibit was. And this artist had done this exhibit where they had typed out every, the name of every person they'd ever met or could remember meeting. 
So it was an ongoing exhibit because when they would meet somebody new, they'd come back to the gallery and add another name to it. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, I have, I have tons of pictures and of those. That, and tell me about what that like did to you. Well, the, the, as an art installation, the idea of everybody, the names of everybody you've met is profound. Mm-hmm, just the idea alone. Yeah, I mean, you think about, it, obviously we know, I mean, we have some data on this that ancient, a couple hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, you would probably meet 100, 120 people in your lifetime. So um, even just what we know historically about how many people you'd meet or how many relationships people would have um, over the entire course of their life. And then you think about now like cities or you think about the number of people that people now interact with, all that I find fascinating. Right, which brings up very interesting questions about how that affects us. Just yeah. the sheer number of people that we meet or are exposed yeah. to or yeah. see names in a directory, yeah. Yeah. how does that affect us? Right, right. I also find names, especially um, from other cultures that have different language patterns, I find them musical. I... I um, find them like almost textural, like that name that I just saw there is got, it's like a, it's like a work of art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's it does like, in a uh, sense fill you with wonder the, how many languages there are. Well, like you think about Rob Bell, that's just like, you know what I mean? That's, and it's a fine name, but it's also, um, and like you think about when you're in an Italian restaurant and one of the things on the menu is tagliatelli. That's like a, that's like a song, tagliatelli. There's a world where that was a normal right. word. Those sound waves go in your ears and uh-huh. they do something to your body. They do something to you. You're already hungry. You already know well, you're you going to enjoy this. Kind of like, Look at you you're you're already kind of like loosen up a little. You're like moving your shoulders. No, don't the Italians... You're already dancing to a don't music. Don't the can't. Italians make you just feel a little yes. looser? Yeah, yeah, A yeah. little like lighter on your feet. Yeah. Like you said, like yeah. Rob Bell feels very solid. That's, a, yeah. that's just yeah. somebody like with both feet on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he, I, was once, I once was doing it. I once was doing a thing on names and somebody accused me of making fun of names. Right, which is they a misunderstanding. Saw it, they of saw, what, literally saw it as like I'm making fun of other cultures. And I was like, I got so cranked up. I was like so angry that that was Because the opposite is true. It is. You're delighting in it. Oh, an appreciation, an honoring. Um, right, look at this diversity. Or like when I was in Iceland. And Do you know what I mean? Like the, the like. Look at this, right. Like right. what this diversity does, it like makes life full of yeah. color and wonder and thank you it like uh how do you even say it it enriches your soul it like makes it wider and more full i remember in ice the first time parentheses only time i've been to iceland um <laughs> the women at the end of their names i think it's d-o-t-t-i-r dotir um because she's the daughter of somebody Really? Yeah. So you know most how you have like John- everybody or most you people? You know how or? Johnson is the son of John? Right. Um, Svensson is the son of Sven. Uh-huh. Uh, Borkner Dotir is the daughter of Borkner. Um, so just that lovely Dotir at the end of names um, and being like, partly because you can't make your way in that language. I, I couldn't, but I could at least spot- um, Some patterns. Mm-hmm. And this event that I was at- um, the people were wearing name tags. So like that, just that alone, Dotir. Um, it's fantastic. Where did, was this? I love it. This is the intro <laughs> to oh, yeah, this the is idea love of words. that the love you of words. found a word that means something that then well, sparked some ideas for you of things yes. you wanted to talk about. Yes. I appreciate you uh, pointing out the slightly meta nature of all this. Um, so here's here's... Friends, what we want to talk about that you and I have been exploring um, a little while ago, because you're doing, because for many of us, we're catching up with people in other parts of the world, the country, friends. How's it going with you all? And you find out they're having a similar experience that you are. So a lot of people are having this sort of experience where you go, hey, how's it where you guys are? Yep. 
we're uh right we're in our house we're working but we have all sorts of new precautions in place the kind of discussions we're having again and again a friend of mine was asking us I mean, what it's like here. And I was mentioning how a number of the clothing stores in the neighborhood have taken their clothes off the shelves and how that just has a certain chilling effect. Like the store is just bare. And then a number of stores have boarded up. Right. Um, which I assume is like a, like a looting theft measure. Um, but I remember telling one friend, yeah, so like you can go like on really busy streets and a number of the stores are just empty and a number of the stores are all boarded up it's got like and you can just like walk down the middle of the street if you want a street that would normally have so much traffic and the friend said ah man it sounds apocalyptic and uh that is the word that people are using now about spaces that were once crammed that are empty right Um, i've heard people use that about empty shelves in the store yes no rice no pasta Right. It does strike something deep in mm-hmm. you, like, mm-hmm. what is going right. on here? Is right. this the right. end of the world? Right, right. And that's exactly the thing that I think is interesting to explore, is that we have this word apocalyptic, and that in our modern English vernacular, apocalyptic means, like, end. But that word actually has a really rich history, and it's only roughly the 1800s. Only the past couple hundred years that apocalyptic or apocalypse, apocalypse now, um, meant like an end. Because it's an ancient Greek word. It comes from two words, the word apo and the word kalupto. And apo means like away or from or after. And kalupto means to cover or conceal. So apocalypse roots, apocalypsis would be how you'd say it roughly in ancient Greek means to uncover or to reveal yeah, or to lay bare. So historically, the word apocalyptic didn't as much... It refers to an upheaval, something perhaps cataclysmic, but it wasn't so much an ending as it was a revealing of something. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, oh, by the way, eucalyptus tree, mm-hmm. apocalyptic. Thick eucalyptus tree. A eucalyptus tree is, is because the seeds are covered. Um, oh. So the word actually appears here and there. And so um, often this ancient word, apocalypsis, it had with it, which I immediately thought of you, it had with it this idea of um, almost like stretching your neck to see. It's like... Uh, you're extending your neck, almost like you're on your tippy toes to... Tippy toes or tiptoes? You're on your tiptoes. I think both to, are um, used. To, to, one translation has it, to watch with outstretched head. Yeah, so interesting. It is an end, but not a literal end of the world. It's kind of like an end of the world as we know it. End of an... Thank you. It's an R-E-M. end of... Exactly. Um, it's the end the of... The passing of an era or a... Like the idea of once you see, you can't unsee. There you go. Oh, friends, did you feel that? Yes, yes, yes. So, um, and even some trans, some, some say that the, the connotations of the word um, bring with it like an intense scene. Really? Yes. So that's all like tiptoes, head stretched, looking to see what is it. So, for example, um, the book of Revelation did not, in the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, which is often, you know, it's the book about the cataclysmic end of the world. Actually, it wasn't until the 1300s that that book was called Revelation because to reveal is to be laid bare, is to uncover. Literally, the word in its original language for for its first that book for its first 1,300 years was the apocalypse. That's like, literally it was later with, uh, I believe it was Wycliffe's translation in the 1300s that it came to be called the book of Revelation. Otherwise it was the, the apocalypse because it was about a revealing. So yes, it had upheaval. It had elements of destruction. It had, it had like, in some senses, what we're seeing now, like death, tragedy, sorrow, heartache. But in that was the revealing of something 
Oh, that's interesting. Right, 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 right. So to me, this is a powerful way to think about this moment that we are in. Because there's the grief, the sadness, the anger, the rage, the all loss, the, the tension, anxiety, financial stress. We have all of these things swirling around. But then there's also the invitation to intensely see what is being exposed here. What is being laid bare here? Right. What can we see that will then change us going forward? What is being uncovered in this experience? And even if you think about uncovered, um, you can even read that as what is true that has been true, but it is now being revealed in some way that it wasn't before. And that becomes like a very different exercise. Right. So you and I were expo- friends. Kristen and I were exploring this. Um, so we had a couple of things inst- instantly that we were like, ooh, we should talk about those. So you want to jump in? Yes. But just to be accurate here, I think you came up with the list and then we... <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I added a little to it, but... <laughs> Uh, it wasn't much until you, uh, you got, you got your hands on it. So here, here's the first, here's the, the first thing, um, here's the first apocalyptic truth about this moment we're in that I think, and often, and obviously when you read it this way, then historically it was about hope in, and obviously there's grief, obviously there's sorrow, obviously there's all of that. Let's just, that's just, I keep making that disclaimer to make sure, but then lurking in it was always a sense of where's the hope. Right, which is what I came away with after you showed me the, yeah. the list that you had come up with. Yeah, yeah. As I thought, oh, this is an exercise in hope. How do you generate hope right. when things feel really dark? Right, right, right. Yes. And my list, I think, is like four things, maybe. So it's not big. Here, so here's the first one. Let's right. jump into one. Your, your list got a little edited, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Friends, because that's... also, if you know Rob, he has lots of ideas because that's how it works. You just Absolutely. like, you just turn Absolutely. the spigot on and you turn the edit sure. button off. Sure, sure. And Look at these um, little scraps of paper I have. But I, I think, think uh, <laughs> I think what we did is we we kind of decided which ones felt like they had the most weight or I think I I think I I think I I yeah there's like 10 and by the time you were done I think we were like oh there's probably four okay here's But one. some of them got combined. Um yeah. And here's what we mean folks now that we have hyped this and built this no, up No, there this is no hype. This is just <laughs> behind the scenes. Okay, here and and I was talking to somebody about this the other day and there and and I was so struck with how much energy it brought to our interaction. Um, we all heard about this thing coming. We heard that we might need to limit our social interactions, our mobility. Mm-hmm. Things might be shut down. And in an incredibly brief period of time, number one, we took in an amazing amount of data about this virus, where it started, where it came from, how fast it was spreading, we learned to read charts about where it was spreading, how fast people were getting it. Um, right, the exponential growth. We learned new language, new, literally new terms, social distancing, flatten the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, the word Wuhan right. entered our collective lexicon. Right, before that, I would say most including me, didn't know where that was. Exactly. Yeah, it's a city of millions of people. We suddenly knew about a number of towns in Italy. Like, so you think about geographic awareness, increased, like, new terms um, that we just instantly started using, like that. And then when we were told, and once again, folks, not everybody, I'm talking to you, Florida, not everybody was quick on the draw on this, but a massive number of people around the world. And by massive, I mean 
hundreds of millions of people when they got this information and were instructed by Dr. Fauci, governors, mayors, um, competent, let's stress that, competent government leaders made massive life change. Massive. Parked their cars, started washing hands, masks. We went about going to the grocery store in a new way. Like, think of how many hundreds of millions of people radically changed their behavior in literally a few days. Right. And then from there, you have, like, clear blue skies in major cities. You can see fish in the canals of Venice um, because of the silt from the boats just sink. Like, how much... Well, we'll get to that in a second about the earth, but how... Didn't you say quickly. foxes are running around in the streets of London? <laughs> That's actually been a thing for a while. But um, they have, are talking about the presence of animals in places they haven't seen animals in a long time. I guess maybe we'll, we'll wrap up with that one. We're, okay. We're so fired up, we're leaping ahead. Sorry. No. Oh. Um. <laughs> so what is being uncovered here, the apocalyptic truth, is that human beings on a massive global scale can change their behavior almost overnight. So when people say, how come people don't change? The answer is not capacity. Um, how come people don't do things in a new way? The answer is not ability. You have to move then to a different layer going forward. When it comes to like care for the earth, when it comes to how we relate, when it comes to how we conduct ourselves, we are all capable of massive change right? with a combination of will, information, leadership, um, I would almost say like, like accountability with each other. Like for how many people, if you were like, no, I'm just living my life how I am, your friends would be like, what are you doing Right. Um, there was a like a I don't I don't know the term for it when you're an adult, but like as a kid that was called positive peer pressure. <laughs> right, right. Uh yeah, adult peer pressure. Social yeah. Yeah. Social peer pressure. <laughs> and your and and friends who were like, no man, I'm just gonna <laughs> like like uh Trace had some interactions with university kids who were like, I'm not letting a virus slow down my life. I'm not letting it. And he was like, and you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he was like, Just instantly. And what is this life that you can't let the virus interrupt? So um, for everyone who has a despairing view of human beings because of how they vote or how they've treated you, or perhaps you're in a setting where people seem resistant to new ideas, expanded consciousness, even diversity, justice, inclusion, all of those things. Um, right. This, this one sparks a lot of hope for me because something that seemed impossible, like, like this massive amount of behavioral change right. happened. So, right. so it does open up what else could happen? Right, right, right. And so what this means then is blanket negative generalizations about human beings. Human beings just don't want the truth. Human beings are just stuck in their ways. Human beings just like things the way they are and don't like... It's just simply not true. Yes, there are those patterns of behavior from time to time. There are those dominant, of course... But there are also latent abilities and capacities that can be tapped and catalyzed like that. You might think, remember that like day in there when the NBA canceled? And then we found out Tom Hanks had coronavirus. There was like a couple of things in like a 30-hour window and suddenly this got real. And then boom. 
right. massive, massive, massive alteration in behavior. School, work, social interactions. Right. And it's stunning. And it has also shown me how adaptable we are because in the beginning it felt insane. Like what, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean two months? Like I can't do yeah. that. Right. That's not possible. Right. I don't think I can have my daughter home from school for the rest of the year. Like what, like it just felt like yeah. it felt undoable. like certain points when you, when it sunk in how serious this was, it felt undoable. And yet, um, yes, humanity yes. adapted, not without, again, caveat, not without right, right, right. heartache right. and struggle, but there has been an adaptation process that didn't seem possible. Right. So you think going forward, you think about in every sphere of life, the the great leaders going forward will be the ones who have seen this apocalyptic hope from this. Um, almost like reminding people, we can do this. We can do this. We've, we've done massive things before in very short periods of time. Right. So it becomes the act of remembrance. Remember when we all changed our behavior in a couple day period of time? Yeah. Let's do that about this over here. Mm -hmm. um, and you can just go down the list of things that um, in our collective body together, and we'll talk about politics in a little bit here, but you think about the massive number of things that everybody catalyzed around that issue. Prison reform, just pick one. Um, and uh, who knows? Right. Who knows? Right. It would be it would be beautiful if moving forward, we all had more hope in what we're capable of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the reason why I start there is that to me is one of, that's like the lower base note that is going to emerge over time. Yes. Because once again, once you see, you can't unsee. Yeah. 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 So yeah. even, even seeing... Um, e even if you're not fully aware of what you're seeing, like it's all sinking in. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's why I think it's so interesting to talk about is because right now, um, if you do check in with the news, you're instantly overwhelmed with um, the idiot factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do bravery and the the heroism we're seeing in multiple fronts, but you also, it's almost impossible not to come across some church somewhere or right. some I actually found this protesting or some it's easy right that's, now that some of these protests um I think it was the the one in Michigan that made it on the front page of the New York Times and when I read the article like three quarters of the way through I think it might not have been Michigan it might have been some other gathering but it was they said it was a hundred people yeah right 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 and I was like wait mm -hmm. a minute mm-hmm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This gets our attention. Yeah, there was an excerpt where someone said, "I mean, these are these are massive turnouts. I mean, we're talking almost two hundred people." Wait, <laughs> and that got the front page, and not hundreds of millions of people learned the term social distancing and actually enacted it at some level. Or what about the fact that our school districts are feeding people? Yeah. Like they took all of their budgeted money for the school lunch program and they're handing out meals to whoever shows up. Yeah. Like in LA, that's who's feeding people. Yeah. The school districts. Yeah. Yeah. And figured that out in a relatively... But how many people is that? That's more than a few hundred people. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's like thousands. Right, or right, right. right. I, I mean, multiply yeah. it across yeah. if it's happening in other school yeah. districts, like which I think it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because um, when Preston got his driver's license a couple years ago, I took him. And so, and he had made an appointment online. So we went to the DMV, which the Department of Vehicles, and each, some states name it differently, but it's where you go, Secretary of State, when I was growing up in Michigan, it's where you go get your driver's license. And those places are famous for long lines, 
right? It's like, especially the DMV, there was an old um, Primus song. Remember Les Claypool? Les Claypool, do you want to lay down? One of my favorite bands. Um, they had a song, I've been to hell, I call it the DMV. Because the DMV in California is notorious for how long it takes. But Preston and I went, it took like seven minutes to get through the line. But I'm sitting there waiting for him and they have these screens and the screens are showing commercials, but they're also showing facts about cars in California. And one of the facts that came up was that there are like, I think it was 33 million cars are registered and then get renewed every year in California. And I suddenly had this moment, almost like an Eichler painting where the black, there's the black birds and the white birds. And then as they get close together, it all merges. Um, where I could like, you could read it two ways. I was like, wait, 33 million. Um, you can see the DMV as a bureaucratic quagmire or somebody built something that can register 33 million cars. You know what I mean? Like that's actually wondrous. Human beings figured that out. It's actually amazing that it's not, it doesn't take more time, which is what you're saying about all the things that are broken, all the things that are wrong, so easily obscure the astonishing things that human beings can actually do from time to time. Right. Right. These people organized this in yeah. a matter of, yeah. I think, a couple days to right. make sure that right. no kid was going hungry and then it moved to whoever needs food. Yeah. You can, ha like, it's here for you. Right. Amazing. Amazing. And the thing about an apocalyptic hope is, is you get there honestly. It's not like everything's fine, let's just do it. It's like, no, everything's not fine. So any hope that you do find with apocalypse, that any hope that does get unveiled or uncovered, it's real. You, you know what I mean? It's not an imagined sort of fantasy. It's what got uncovered because of upheaval, pain, loss, massive transition. Like, it's actually hope that you got to, honestly, based on actual facts that you've seen. I don't know where I was going with that. It felt really important. No, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was winding up for a good one there. <laughs> so it had a beginning and a middle, but... At the end there, I was like... We'll, we'll find the end later. waiting for fireworks to go off? <laughs> what is happening there? Okay, so that's our thing. Massive change is instantly, relatively instantly possible, and that's a fact that we have observed, and that's quite extraordinary. Okay, second thing. Um, I noticed walking the dog in the evenings, somewhere between 8 and 9, all this noise in the neighborhood. And then you mentioned in New York um, people applauding each right. evening. I for healthcare workers who were walking home. Right. At the end of their shift. And then uh, last week, you and I were out walking the dog, 8.30-ish, and we could hear all this noise in the neighborhood, and so we started walking to find it. And it was like one street over, right? It was like one block over. Right. It was so hard to tell if it was like... Because we're, we live pretty close to a hospital. Right. So... The first time I heard it, I thought, oh, interesting. People have organized yes. and they're doing this for the hospital workers yeah. who are leaving their shift. So we're out walking the dog and we hear the cheering and the noise making. And we get so, we're like walking Only as this fast. Time it we're like race closer. walking. Yeah. And we're like, wait, this might actually be closer than over by than the hospital. Than we thought it was. Right. So we go over one block and we're like race, we're like, Trying to be cool, but we are like I want to walking slightly. I gotta like, find this. Yes. What's going on here? And we get to that we get to that intersect, we get to that cross street right there, one block over, and we look down, and there are the neighbors have come out onto their sidewalks and they're banging like the one person pots like and a pans shaker, and but like pots and pans, and they're shouting and cheering on their other neighbor who had just and yelling thank you. Yeah. And it's electric. Right. And we realized that this is this sounded much larger than it was. Yes. Um, but it's actually neighbors who have organized yeah. to thank one of their fellow neighbors who and then they make the noise for like five minutes, maybe. Oh, it felt longer? 
I don't know. Okay, but I don't like, know. It's but, just but interesting. I'm just that. saying it's not like a marathon. It's like 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever yeah. it is, with ordinary household noise-making equipment. And you and I are standing there so moved. So moved on so many levels. Yeah. Um, and so it's a nightly ritual, because I've heard it now most evenings. It's a, it's a daily ritual that doesn't require any institution, bureaucracy, approval. There's no process for it. It arises organically within a web of relationship based on location of housing. And you come across it. It flows out of a deep gratitude. It arises out of an awareness of a connection we all have with each other and a particular role. Right, and that we all need each other. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And um, personal sacrifice, bravery, yeah. Yeah. Um, dedication. Yeah. It's both particular and universal. Um, it's just somebody... Putting ha- the needs of others above your own. It's just somebody coming home from their job, which they've done who knows how many thousands of times, and yet it becomes an acknowledgement and a celebration of these universal truths about love and courage and solidarity. Right. What it means to be human and what it means to live a meaningful life. Yeah. Yeah, So both in like work, but also in connection, community, like uh, these neighbors, I'm certain are now much more bonded to each other. Absolutely. Um, I'm also certain that if somebody in that community needed something, they would probably feel okay to ask. Oh, sure. Because so often we have those desires to like help each other. Like it, it's, it's part of our natural flow of being human. Yeah. Um, we actually do want to help each other. Yeah. But there's all these ways that we get lost in our own heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our own agendas, our goals, our like efficiencies. Um we get kind of stuck in a rut. Yeah. Yeah. Like before this happened. I was just thinking about why we don't do this just always as far as connecting with each other. Yeah. But I think it's because we get caught in our heads, in our, in our own shell, um, instead of remembering how connected we are and that life isn't just about how much we can get done mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what's the next like Netflix show I want to watch? Like we all know that that's not that that can bring joy at the right time, but that's not a meaningful life to be trapped in your own right. self. Right, right. Now the word... And, oh, sorry. Oh, so so it's just so interesting that this... When you, when you think about how you're applying this word, it's a revealing of who we really are. Yes. Like this actually, th- those neighbors... That love, that connection, that like people who are doing meaningful work in the world that benefits others, um, all of that is who we are, but we forget. So as mm. far as this revealing, mm. mm-hmm. it, it actually is very beautiful in the sense that it reveals who we are. Yes. And we yes. need, and then if you go back to your idea of, these are simple rituals right. that we can right. enact, that we can right. create. Right. These rituals remind us who we are and why we're here. Yes. And they're being created because of this experience all over the place. They're like almost effortlessly flowing out of, people are marking things. And so uh, um, like my friend Chris, who was like, yeah, he and his wife, he said, we're going out tonight. A couple days ago, it's like you are, and he's like, yeah. And by that, I mean wine in the backyard, <laughs> which is a re- ritualization of sorts. Yes, it's a concretization of the ideal. 
Um, life matters. This moment matters. We have each other. We're here for each other. Um, there is a goodness to being human. There's a goodness to you and a goodness to me and a goodness to this experience that we're having. And a ritual is a concretized, it's taking that idea of goodness and enacting it. Because if I can enact it with this, then it will it can order the rest of life. So it's like like you and I are talking about what we saw one street over because that act then speaks to the potential of every act. Which is why people for thousands of years have have found great power in rituals. It isn't just the thing you're doing, it's how it awakens you to well well if I can experience this in this moment, is it possible in other moments? Right. Right. And so it's so for many of us who have extra time right now, it's interesting that we can we can think about what rituals we want to add. Yeah. 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 And and I, and actually most people are often ritualizing something without knowing it. I do this because it reminds me, it grounds me, it centers me. It fills me with what I want to be filled with. And you go, oh yeah, that's a ritual. Oh, because they arise organically. Right. And so then again, the seeing that, mm -hmm. that we're having during this unique period of time, it's possible that that will then, when things get back to, you know. There's not even back to. When things get right, forward right. to whatever the new normal is, whatever right. the next normal when is. When we have no restrictions on where we go and what we do. Yeah. There might be a, um, a change in our priorities when we see how important right. these, re these remembrances are. Right. These simple acts and gestures. Um, okay, can I, talk, can I talk about Eucharist for a second? Yeah. Because I think it's really interesting how, in the Jesus movement, there's been this there's there's been this ritual for a couple thousand years of the bread and wine. So you gather together, and you have this ritual involving bread and wine. The body of Christ broken for us. The blood of Christ poured out for us. It's a body broken and blood poured out for the healing of the world. But the heart of the Eucharist is you take the bread and wine with this acknowledgement that the bread and wine is holy. And this bread and wine is holy because all bread and wine is holy because all of life is holy. So underneath this Eucharist ritual was this understanding that you take this bread and wine to like open your eyes or heighten your senses to the holiness and the sacred nature, the connected, sacred meaning connected, not isolated, nature of all of life. So it isn't going to have this ritual because in the ritual you'll find God. It's enacting the ritual in order to open your eyes to find the divine sacred presence in all of the rest of life. Which obviously is why a lot of religious structures got all people got all confused. Is oh no no we're going there in order to have the experience. No, we're going to have the we're going to have the experience of having our eyes open to the experience in all of life. Right. Which I like to call it the magic that's right. in life. Right. 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 So you see. The power of a ritual is how it opens you to all of life, to the presence and all of life. The kingdom of God is within you. And what you and I were talking about earlier about this, you think about advertising. The kingdom that we live in is advertising. We are bombarded, firehosed, accosted with advertising, which at a subtle level of soul tells you the actions over there. Right. If you had this, then you'd... Then you'd be happy. So it locates it locates the magic in a place other than where you're at. Right. So you can see for the first time... I mean, this is new in human history, but we have a, a whole world, a matrix, shall we call it, that spends billions of dollars every day to seduce, woo, convince you and I 
that the thing that would be it, do it, satisfy is somewhere other, if you think of spatially, is somewhere other than where I am right, right. now. Right. So you need to work harder, buy more, do more, <laughs> be more. But the path for thousands of years has always been a growing awareness that you have everything you need. It's right here. Right. It is an uncovering that you actually long for, a revealing of that which you already possess. You know, it made a really big impression on me when we were traveling in Norway last summer. And I noticed that like on the trains, yes. there, there are Remember no that? advertisements. Right. There, um, there were no, there's no billboards. In fact, I think when I was traveling in Norway, I don't think anything was ever advertised to me. Like, remember you and I would be in public spaces and we'd be like, oh, notice there like aren't And some of it is signs. like, we don't know the language. So we're not, I mean, maybe they have advertisements on TV, who knows? But, um, but it was really like, it felt very like cleansing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, um, yeah. I, I didn't realize how much of that gets in my system until it wasn't there. And it felt, it felt so um, right it's such a, and pure oh. to, to travel around and not be bombarded with images. And um, yeah, I don't even, it, it's just so constant. Like when you think about being in a place like yeah. New York yeah. is yeah, like yeah. the ultimate yeah. example, Times Square. Um, it's so cool it's almost like over to the see top. the lights and right. but it's like um you it's, do have to ask the question <laughs> like what is this doing to me? What is this yeah, doing yeah. to the way yeah. I see the world? It's a level of what is this doing to the way I see my own life? There you go. And the there purpose of my life. There you go. There you go. There you go. There's a there, there's an element of psychic clutter to all that. That when we were in that space in Norway, we were like oh, there's like a whole layer of soul and psychic clutter that's just not here. That is shocking how you well, just get used kind to of, it. I mean, if I were to try to put it into words right now, it, it felt like I had better access to my own soul. It felt like mm. kind of the pathway got cleaned out. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I could, I could rest in my body in a different way. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Which takes us back to that walk. And you think of what everybody wants for their life, the desire, the longing, and then our neighbors are out there with pots and pans. Some guy had like a like a shaker pot thing. And it was that's the thing. That's that's what everybody wants. Right. right there. I that's what everybody wants. I got tears in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I wasn't even participating. I was just yeah. witnessing something that made me feel so alive. Yes. Because it was like, yes, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well said. Yeah, yeah. So the apocalyptic truth is this human capacity to create rituals that are open our eyes to the depth and meaning and joy of life. And we can do this. We have everything we need for this. And we're living in this system that never stops telling us we don't have. Well, what's interesting is we have everything we need except for the fact that we need each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's like an essential ingredient. An essential ingredient. And a little imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Man, oh man. Should we do one more? Yeah, great. Or maybe like two. Okay. Um, and you've heard me talk, I've gone on and on about this. This word politics comes from this Greek word politikos, which means citizen. So we're all citizens and local, state, federal, national, et cetera. Um, we're citizens and we're all participating in this shared common life we have together. And 
that politics is actually a good word. Um, so I've talked about how if you take a shower, water comes out of your faucet, somewhere near you there's some elected, appointed, hired official who organizes the water supply and makes sure everybody has water. So that's, if you wash your hands, that's a very, that's political because politics is how we've arranged ourselves. Um, and that there's something sacred about our shared life together. And so uh, for a while, I've, I've been very passionate about people reclaiming politics as a good word. How do we arrange our lives together? What matters? Um, where does wealth go? What do we do with our shared resources? Um, and that what most people know to be politics is the hijacking of our shared life together. You know what I mean? By profit, theater, um, personal gain, whatever that is. But that's actually the polluting um, and the hijacking. You can even say the blaspheming of something that's actually very sacred and profound, which is our shared life together as a people. And you think about like uh, the now legendary Dr. Fauci, who has like been guiding people, like years of expertise studying these kinds of things, and then giving us, like playing a role in our shared life together. Um, and one of the things that's been revealed that is one of the apocalyptic truths of this moment is obviously things like competence and character, integrity matter. But, but uh, I would argue that what's being revealed here is how sacred our life together actually is. And you can see it manifesting itself in all sorts of ways. But I think that you're, I wonder if, I actually believe that coming out of this, you're going to see people start running for political office who had never thought about it before. Because there's too much, This you can see this, the way it's being handled in some cases, like you and I have talked about like the governor of California, the mayor of San Francisco, like way out ahead, mayor of Los Angeles. Right. Like doing what leaders do who we've entrusted. So like a, we entrust these people to have our best And they've been working mind. around the clock for the well-being of all. <laughs> right. And so for, for so many people, political leaders are to be distrusted, political leaders. And there's lots of ample evidence for that. There's lots and we have lots and lots of data about having people who we elected to lead us who had other interests and uh, they degraded the sacred nature of this. But then when you do see somebody doing it, it's unbelievably inspiring. Right. Maybe because of just how many horrific examples we have. Because um, like Congress hovers around like a 22, 23, highest was 26. There've also been some like 14% approval rating periods. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so these people that we have elected on the whole, generally their Rotten tomato score is about like a 24, 25. Um, so there's right. something and about this system. But, but Well, the, and I would even connect that back to advertising. Like a lot of these people get elected because they're good at advertising. Yeah, yeah, it just becomes the ad buy. But going back to the ap apocalyptic truth, when you do see somebody who's doing it out of a sense of service, out of a sense of love and devotion to the sacred nature of our life together. It, it is so striking and powerful. And I, I think you're going to see, I think that impulse is in lots of people. Yeah. I mean, think about all the people we know who, they're the people who organize things. They're the people who have the integrity and the sense of ruthless, this should be done right. Or all the people we know who their heart is for everybody who is being forgotten at whatever level. Um, and the system bending towards the most vulnerable, that's in us. We know that's what this, our cumulative shared wealth is for. 
You know what I mean? Right. We just intuitively know that when we come together, whatever surplus there is, is to be converted into blessing and abundance for those who need it most. Like we, we intuitively know, but there are those who like, this is what they're here to do. Right. Uh, and as far as this revealing, there's, I mean, it's, it's revealing so much about the inequality. Yes. About the, yeah. the people who have and the people who don't have. Um, and um, I, I like to, I've said this before to members of my family, it's one of my things that when you live in a city, it's very obvious yeah. that we're all connected. Yes. And that, you, that um, you can't hide from those that don't have, like we're all connected and it affects us all. Like even if you think about healthcare, like the people who have health insurance and the people that don't, you can't just turn a blind eye to the people that don't have healthcare. Like it, we're all in yeah. this together and yeah. in a city you see it up close. Like, um, well, it, a homeless it, guy right there across the street, up a couple doors, who's in that alley, like right like there, I'm pointing friends to the right at an angle, but he's literally like a hundred yards away who was there last night. We we're walking the dog and he set up his little thing there. Like that's not something somewhere else. That's something right here. And I do think that this situation, that is, situation, is, that need that, yeah, is, is, um, it's showing us, um, even, even in LA, how there's, they've had to address the homeless situation. Like they're, they're buying hotels or I think they're both renting hotels, buying hotels. They're allowing uh, government um, run um, lots for people to set up their tents because all of a sudden we're like, wait, like the virus could run rampant in the homeless population and that affects us all. Like, yes. like but yes. why did it take this? Yes. Yes. For us to say, like, like this is our problem. This isn't like just push those people out to where we can't see them and let's pretend that they don't exist. We're all connected. Yeah. And, and their well-being is connected to our well-being. Which leads to another apocalyptic truth. When people talk about the crisis of this moment and even, even the homeless crisis here in LA. When people talk about the crisis of this moment, now you know what lots of people have been saying about this system the whole time. It's been in crisis for a while. So what you're seeing is like millions and millions of people coming to see these giant challenges we have on our hand that have actually been here the whole time. It's just that with this particular upheaval, now everybody's noticing and seen. And it's not, I, I just, I don't think lots of things are going to go back. I noticed, by the way, in, from 2016 on, the number of people when I'd like be out traveling, touring, the number of people who would find me somewhere and say, hey, I just want you to know I, I'm running for town council or whatever. Um, like how many people would mention, um, I'm now getting involved because we need to get involved. And I think you're going to see a massive wave of, of all these issues and people who have this pull to arrange us better. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe if you redefined politics as arranging us better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, improved organization, our shared life together um, from people who don't have homes all the way to our caring for the environment, we could organize ourselves better. Right, right. Um, and if you take politics out of the soiled word that has become and it gets renewed as a sacred word to describe the importance of how we're all connected, I think a whole world of people are like, oh, I, oh, I should do that. And their friends are already saying, you know what, you should... You do that. Like, like people who are right now, like, let me do the daily presidential briefing. <laughs> I could do better. You know what I mean? How many people are sitting home 
going, I would have thought at least, do we have enough masks on hand? How many people are having those sorts of thoughts? Um, and we, in the future, we should be prepared. We should be better prepared for something like this. There's got to be, there's got to be some way to be better prepared. And all of those people listening to all of those instincts, um, we need them. Yes, I think you're right. I think there's all sorts of people who are being activated right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I, I think it's important to let the activation like propel us forward instead of turning it on the people who are incompetent. Correct. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the power of when you hear somebody who, who this is what they're here to do is you just instantly, oh yeah, of course, of course they should put you in charge of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my hope. Yeah. Yep. You're hearing it here, folks, on the Robcast. A prediction. It's a prediction. It's a call to arms. It's a, what's that old word? Exhortation. <laughs> that uh, I, I want to meet more and more people who are like, you know what, because that virus thing, enough sending links of, to articles around on Facebook. Right. Because <laughs> that's what the internet I does. I saw what I could do. Yes, exactly. I saw what I could like get my hands in. Yeah. And I think a, a world of people are coming to see the fantasy of the internet. When the, the, the fantasy can get stuck, the internet can get stuck in fantasy, spouting off about how you do things how things should be done. And it, it provides no accountability. You can just endlessly spout out and you can just endlessly make noise on Twitter. Um, when what we need is all that energy to be converted into, into actual, actual participation. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see people realize these aren't just ideas that float around um, in little 140 character bits um, because this has like very real world consequences. And I, I think you're right. I do think it starts with a shifting away from cynicism because I yep. do think cynicism is what keeps us stuck yep. in that loop. Yep. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I get involved or not. Nothing's going to change. Kind of like it doesn't matter if I vote there or not you go. because there you go. There you go. my state has already decided or my country is, whatever right. the thing right. is, it's very easy to be cynical, um, which keeps you in that loop of non-action. And that is the apocalyptic truth being revealed in this hour, in this moment, is it does matter. It does matter. Right. And, and maybe even that act of, maybe even that act of voting is a type of ritual. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Your yeah. one little vote may not matter, but it's it's the ritual of saying we're all in this together. Yeah. Like we, we decide this together. We decide how we're organized. I've always thought that about voting. It extends way beyond the math. It, ex it extends to your spiritual participation in our life together. Some people are like, yeah, but my vote isn't going to make any difference. You strolling through the neighborhood to the voting station... And the people that you see there and strolling home profoundly affects you, which affects us because we're all entangled. You know, I always love seeing the people that volunteer oh, at the my voting word, the stations. Best. The experience. And this is why, why the, the sort of hardcore... And, and they are always really happy. Have you noticed that? Oh, my they word, they love it. They are having the time they of their love life. It, love it. This is why the hardcore sort of reductionist materialism of the modern world, it's just the data. It's just the facts. It's just the neurons, the synapses. It's such a limited worldview. Like, so it goes to voting and it goes, well, your, your vote didn't really change things or not. Oh, no, no, you're reading it at one level, like exterior objective. What about the thing that happened in the person? What about the thing that happened for all the people volunteering who saw all the people show up? What about all the shared sense of, oh, you live in this neighborhood? Like there's a whole other world happening and swirling around the act of voting, which is why voter suppression, which the Republicans are actively engaged in right now and aren't even hiding it around the country, is such a profoundly, uh, let's use the word, evil here. Yeah, it, is, it actually does go back to hope. Yes, like right, when you right. When you're engaged, you, you're stoking the hope. Yeah. 
ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Stoking the hope. Stoking the hope. (laughs) (laughs) Stoking the hope 2020. But any act of engagement, right? Right, right, right. And that's why there's a quantum dimension to this. Um, there's, There's other things happening. There's other things happening in other dimensions of what it means to be human. Yeah, and I think hope is closely related to imagination. Absolutely. 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 Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Sounds like you're wrapping up. Sounds like you took the breath that says I just that had go. a beginning, a middle, we and just an said end. This stuff. You, <laughs> <laughs> I, so, so you and I had this sense like, I wonder if through this whole experience we're all about to go in if we just turn the microphone on once a week. Yeah. It's been really fun. Yeah. It uh yeah, there we go apocalyptic hope. It's like hope you got to, honestly. It's hope with a little ache, but it is hope. Um, and, it's, and it's hope that it arose because you kept going. You didn't just take the first set of things that came. Like, oh, this whole thing is going off the rails. No, you stayed with it. Right, stayed open. Yeah. Kept your eyes open. Yeah. You kept your eyes open. There's all, because if you just take the first round of data, who knows what that'll be. Um, the first pictures that you see when you check the news, the first, um, it's it's easy to just be like, oh, this thing is, but then that's why I love this idea of the uncovering or the unveiling is it takes a minute. Um, and if you, if you focus on just all the stuff that's broken and wrong and maddening, you may miss the thing um, that's down in there that's going to take a minute to be uncovered. So that's why the expectancy and the scene is always associated with the word is you got to like read this in a whole new way. It's interesting then you think about a mantra for people um, is like what's being uncovered here? What's being revealed here? That's an interesting thing to say to your partner about all the different things that are coming our way because of this experience. Right. What do I see now that I didn't used to see? Right, right, right. What's being revealed here? What's the truth that, how can I see this differently? Is there a hope here I didn't see before? That just becomes a, yeah. Yeah, that becomes a different way of having the experience. Well, there we go. I, yeah. that's, that was, that was a good time. That, that was a good time. Robcast friends, we're sending you all sorts of, pandemic level grace and peace that's right that's right (laughs) i still have such a funny feeling at the end of these because (laughs) because it's still the robcast do you know what i mean like i do it's still the robcast i love being a guest on the robcast i love being a regular guest but it just feels so funny for me to like give like a wrap up or a goodbye. Oh, I think everybody wants one from you. Why don't you just give them some love? (laughs) Robcast people, Robcast listeners. I'm sending my love from me to you until next week.